Hey Changemakers, it's Zina here and I'm happy to announce you another podcast episode for this week. So a while ago I went to an event and I talked to another entrepreneur and he mentioned that every time he sees a problem around the world related to sustainability, to the environment, to the society, he starts a business to solve this problem. And that really inspired me. And because of that, I'm super happy that we have a guest today in the show who's actually living this by example. His name is Carlo, he is from Luxembourg and he's a serial entrepreneur. So he's running uh, multiple businesses. They are all related to sustainability and related to solving a problem related to sustainability. And especially his cider business um, that he will dig deep on this episode and that he will explain the business model um, around that and also he's a, a B Corp with this business and he will talk about the whole process of becoming a B Corp and yeah he started this business actually because he wanted to solve the problem that a lot of ancient types of apples are um, getting lost because no one is really using them anymore but you can actually make like really good cider out of it and uh, yeah I can tell you the cider is really really delicious because I was a lucky one to to try it a while ago because Fernando and I we also met Carlo a couple of weeks ago Oh, a couple of months already ago when we attended the B Leader training from B Corp and he gave all of the participants some cider to try so it's really delicious uh, I can really recommend you it and yeah so um, in this episode Carlo is not only talking about the business model of this cider business he's also giving a lot of examples and uh, information about how it is to grow up in a family full of entrepreneurs and what kind of advice he got from his father uh, from his father and what kind of lessons he learned so it's really really inspiring i think you can learn a lot from that so i hope you enjoyed this episode and i wish you a lot of fun So, Carlo, welcome to the show. Yes, thanks for having me. Yeah, my pleasure. So, um, we met last year in September, I remember, at the B Corp Summit in Amsterdam. And I have to say that it was very surprising as well to see you again at the B Leader Training in Brussels some weeks ago. And I'm really happy to have you here as a guest. And I thought... Um, we could start our conversation talking a bit about what is the B Corp movement. Uh, so for the ones listening right now um, that don't know what is this, can you explain to us what is this B Corp movement and, and why you decided to get involved with this? So um, we have a cider company here in Luxembourg and uh, we are producing cider from apples from very old orchards and old varieties of, of trees. And we came to a point at the company where we say, shall we go bio or what other options do we have? Because we, provide, we were delivered food from around 200 farmers and not all of them are, are bio, but they use all these old orchards. So um, quite difficult to, to make a bio product out of that. And then we were looking around on different certification and we were finding B Corp. 
And why did us interest uh, B-Corp looks at the whole company, not only at the product. It looks um, on, on your environmental side, what you are doing, but also on the social side, what you are doing. That did fit much better to our company. Um, so uh, we started to dig into the theme, and that's why you uh, met me in uh, Amster in Rotterdam, because I wanted to get more, more knowledge about, about this uh, certification. Okay, excellent. Uh, we, we will dig deep in, in what is the certification um, uh, in, in, the, in the interview, but for now, um, I understand that Rumble is in the process of the certification. However, I would like you, if you can share, uh, what's the story of Rumble? Uh, so, um, the story is that I like cider. <laughs> As <laughs> And um, there were all these uh, orchards all around this place uh, where I live. And I see the apples and the pears falling down the trees and nobody's using them. And um, there are a lot of ciders out there in the market. And um, yeah, there could be, uh, uh, there was a possibility to make, of course, a very good cider out of this food. And so the idea was very simple, use this old food, and try to make a good side out of that. And when we tried it, uh, funny way of doing a business is, uh, I said to myself, this will be a hobby. So uh, let's um, find somebody who will take these apples and make the cider for us. And uh, I found Peter Mitchell in the, in the, in the um, in England, who is an absolute specialist in, um, in training and in teaching cider because he wants a cider academy in, in the UK. And I called him up and I said, hi, I have two tons of apples. Would you make uh, cider for us out of that? And he said, yes, I can do that. But first you need to follow training, cider training here in the, in the UK. So I just decided to make my holidays in the UK and to go to, uh, yeah, to school to learn about cider. Uh, when I was sitting in this uh, cider academy, I got aware that uh, the market was really pushing in the Scandinavia, in England, in US, and in Australia. Everywhere the market is going up. And I was astonished seeing all of that. But uh, on the other hand, I had not yet a clue what kind of cider we could do with our food. So after the course, I said, yes, I'm interested. Let's do the cider. And we, we did that together. So we picked the apples here in Luxembourg, sent it over to the UK. And then um, he was uh, defining uh, which kind of fermentation and which, which yeast we would do the process. And then we were flying over to friends of mine and myself. And uh, we were blending together the cider. And yeah, we're filling it into bottles manually with very small machinery, very fun. For two days, we were making 2,000 And uh, yeah, we came back. The cider came on the truck and we started to drink the cider with families, friends, and fools. And uh, everybody enjoyed. <laughs> wow, great, great story. And, and funny enough, I didn't know that you, you wanted these to, to be started as a hobby. Um, be, 
because I, I was looking as well from on, on some business path, business facts, you know, and according to your own website, uh, in just three years, uh, our innovative business model has already contributed to the restoration, care and well-being of, of over 600 traditional metal orchard trees in Luxembourg and nearby Germany. And another fact is that the 57% of the fruit Rambon press in 2019 would have otherwise become food waste. So very impressive for something that started, you know, as a hobby. Now, do you have any, any recommendation regarding the business model? I mean, can you share with us what's the business model behind Rambon? So when we had these 2000 bottles, they were gone in three weeks time, distributed in the, yeah, in family, friends and uh, acquaintance. And then we said, okay, so let's do a bigger batch next year. So we decided to do 20,000 liters. So we uh, take 10, 10, 10 times more. And uh, we sold this cider online without Salesforce, just putting it on the internet here in Luxembourg. And when that also happened, we decided um, let's do a business model out of that. And we uh, were preparing a business model and uh, decided to go into the cider business. And um, we made a plan. And today, everything which is in the plan is any more true. <laughs> so as you said, we found out in our journey that, for example, these orchards are uh, really in danger. We saw that there is environmental problems uh, all over the place, that we are losing biodiversity, that food is wasted, that the farmers are not paid the right prices for their, for their food. But we also saw that we could do a very good side out of that. And uh, it, we started the company that we got rewarded prices internationally in, uh, in the UK, really highly rewarded and also in the US. And so we got aware about these things after we have started that business. And uh, so we adapted the whole business model. And then the whole thing came then to the conclusion that we are now really, as we take care about the orchids, we are taking care about food waste, we are taking care uh, that's a, farmers get an, an, a, a good price. A lot of old farmers who can anymore harvest their, their orchards, we put in place uh, teams which go harvesting there. So there's also a big social component into that. And we created an, an, uh, a cider place in Bonn that's an, a farm out of the 18th century, which we renovated and where people can visit there so they can have a touch on what we are uh, doing. All of that happens quickly after we started the business. And uh, so we adapted extremely quickly to all the things which uh, we saw uh, by doing that business. I think that's one big lesson. You do a business plan and then you start to see a lot of things um, around you and then you have to adapt and uh, yeah, take decisions and go on. And that's why we are today where we are. And can, can you give me an, a specific example on how or what did you adapt it? Yes. Um, we were doing, for example, on distribution side, we were doing everything our own. 
And at a certain moment, uh, we decided to work with the distributors here in Luxembourg together. And um, that was a big decision because that uh, helped us to concentrate on production sites and not to run around and uh, sell uh, cider because these people uh, really wanted to do so. And it was a good partnership. On the other hand, what we did also is to put in place these um, teams going harvesting uh, apples. That was very important to have the relationship with the farmers. Uh, then on the other side, um, uh, creating a lot of different kinds of ciders. So today we have around a range of 15 different ciders. And as we have our visiting uh, uh, place in Bonn, customers come in and they see all the ciders which we have. And we see in, in that uh, shop which ciders are bought. So the, the moment we see that uh, a cider is doing well in our farm, we are increasing production and we are offering that and also to the distribution. So very quick uh, way to market. That's all the things which we have put in place quite quickly. Now, also the Randborn and all these different um, cider that you're producing, I saw as well that uh, it's a really good quality and that you have won uh, a lot of different awards different gold medals and silver medals uh, in the International Cider Awards and in the Cider World Frankfurt in 2019 as well, etc. There are like different awards actually that you that you won. Um, what's, what's the key behind producing a high quality cider? I think it starts with the food. You need to have a really good food to make a good cider. And the best example of this is our Perry. We are using uh, pear trees which are up to 300 years old and they have these special peri pears and uh, these peri pears are giving tannins into the peri and you cannot create that with flavors. You need to have this food to do that and it's quite rare to find these peri pears around. And the same with apples. We have so many old varieties of apples which have so much flavors, tannins, acidities in these apples. Uh, where you really can produce extremely good ciders with it. Afterwards, when you have the food, you need to put in place a good production, a professional production afterwards with professional people knowing what they are doing to, 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 to create the cider. But to start, it's always the food. Okay, I, um, I understand. Now, Runborn is right now in the process of getting the B certification. Can, can you share with us what that means for you? Uh, when we started, I was um, looking at the B Corp internet and uh, you could start by doing the assessment for yourself. So there are around 300 questions and you are going through the different chapters. And uh, so I did that all myself and uh, I saw that there a lot of things which were asked which we were doing but we were not documenting them or it uh, i had not the clue um how to show that we are doing this thing so we had no proofs uh, that we are doing that so at a certain moment i decided okay this is work that's definitely the case um i want to have somebody with me who has done that already once who can help me out because uh as I'm also active in other businesses, I could do not everything on my own. 
and I was asking them if uh, in B Corp Amsterdam, who is a uh, headquarter in, um, in Europe, that I would live at the German border here in Luxembourg, and if there would be not a German consultant uh, who could help me. And uh, the funny part is there were only at that time two consultants in Germany helping in, in B Corp, and uh, one of them was living five kilometers away from me, so it was very hard. <laughs> and I called him up, he knew already the product, he really loved uh, the company, and he came over and we connected straight away. It's Andy Schmidt, and uh, yeah, uh, we, uh, after a very small negotiation, we started then together to go through this, um, through this question, and that was really very good to do so, because a lot of experience coming in and helping me how to... Um, yeah, how to document myself. So uh, the whole process took me around four or five months to go through the questions and to uh, document them. But there was one special moment where I wanted that the, all the employees, the board, the shareholders, but also family members of the employees would come on board to the project. So what we did is in September last year, we made an, an, um, a meeting with all of the stakeholders and we presented B Corp to all of them. There were people, people, our kids, which were 16 to 25 years old, sitting on the table. Then there were uh, people working in the company and uh, the board of the company was sitting there and everybody has different kind of questions to uh, Andy, what B Corp is about. And at the end, it was really fantastic to see that uh, people said, Rambon is already a B Corp. We just need to put the things in place to document, to prove it. And everybody agreed to do the uh, certification and everybody was on board. And especially the young people on the table saw a big added value to it because they said, that's what you need to do. You need to, to show who you are. You need to prove it. And uh, that was really also for me me very good to see because that gives you energize and um, energy and yeah it helps you to go through that process mm. wow that's that's amazing amazing story thank you for sharing these and why why did you decide to to get then the certification because it gave sense uh, when we are in front of a buyer for example of an international buyer and you have you tell the whole story of Wembo starting with the orchards, starting with the old trees, uh, telling about biodiversity, why we are not bio, but that we are, we consider us doing things really good in a good way. Uh, talking about the impacts which we have on, um, on all these kind of biodiversity, food waste, um, environmental, that we are a company which are working in circular economies uh, by design, so that we have put up the company on having as less waste as possible, you don't have time to tell that, that these guys when they are standing in front of you. It takes too much time. So by having a B Corp certification, people will know who we are, who are in uh, as a professional buyer. They will maybe ask some questions, um, but it will be the funny part of the story um, and not the details about what we are doing because they will believe who we are. And that helps us a lot. Excellent. 
So also for, for the ones who are listening uh, to the podcast right now, we will include in the show notes a uh, link to the B Corp and to the B Impact Assessment as well. So if you are interested in this, you can do further research. Uh, but in general, we're talking about a certification that proves that a company is meeting the highest standards, really high standards toward being responsible and being sustainable. Now. I remember in one of our conversations uh, a, a few weeks ago when we were in Brussels and, and you told me that uh, you have in this business three different impact business models. And what was really interesting to me was that you did this without knowing that you were doing it. <laughs> like you, you didn't know that you have actually these three different impact business models. Uh, you just do it because uh, was really inspiring to me to see because it was just the right way to do business. Now, can, can you share with us what are these three different impact business models that are present uh, in this business? Yes, the first one that's a circular economy. So we decided that we have as less waste and that we are using everything in the company so that uh, we are really perfect in that sense. And we started to do that from the beginning. So all our decisions on uh, purchasing, for example, reusable bottles, the crates which we are using, that they can be reused afterwards. Um, how we are using our waste which are coming out of the um, cider process. How is that used? All that was designed before we built the whole facility. And that was extremely important. And that is uh, in BCOP extremely well seen if you have a company which have already achieved this kind of um, working and processing uh, in your company. So that was the first business model that was in a certain sense easy to uh, to prove as we are also made an, um, a circular economy assessment in the company already in 2017, so very early in the company. And in 2018, we were awarded uh, best uh, company on um, circular economy working in tourism here in Luxembourg. How came that? It's because people can visit our cider farm and we have a film of 15 minutes where people are introduced in what, what we are doing and then they can visit the whole farm and then they have tastings and our guides, they know about our sustainability story and our social impact which we have and they say that to the, the people. And then we are coming to the second impact business model is our customers. So we train our customers about circular economy. We're explaining meantime also already what's B Corp. Uh, so because they do not know. And when you explain all of that, then uh, you have, of course, also an impact uh, on your customers. And there will be coming more. So for the moment, we are developing a new pro uh, product where customers uh, can uh, take part uh, in the orchards. So uh, that will, uh, we get aware about these things by thinking about business um, impact models. And um, yeah, and uh, the, the third one is of course food waste, uh, which we were really not aware that uh, as much uh, food was wasted here in Luxembourg by just falling down the trees. And it's by making surveys with the farmers uh, where we found out what to do. And again, it was Beacop which uh, told us, please uh, talk to your um, suppliers, make surveys, uh, 
and we made an, uh, a detailed questionnaire about what they are doing. But we put also um, on the delivery side, we asked them to have some standards and so that we are sure where the food is coming from and that they are from these old orchards, that they sign all that things. So, and that was another impact which came in and it was BCOP again, which structured that. So I see BCOP as a management tool today, which uh, is extremely important for the company to follow, to have processes in place, to document the things, to think about things you haven't thought before. And uh, yeah, it helps you to, especially when you are a startup, to help you to structure your company. Mm. Really helpful tool. Yeah, absolutely. I uh, I agree. Can can help you to to build your whole business model. That's that's true. Now, <clears throat> how important was to realize that uh, you have this impact business model present in your business? Um, so we, uh, as I said, uh, we had always these business models in place. Today we see that um, it helps us to be a different yeah. cider company compared to other cider companies. Because if you only sell cider, you are in the market where it's about price. Yes, people will say, yes, it's good cider, you are awarded, but the next question will be, and what discount will I have on, on the price? It's always the same. Whereas when you have different kind of business models in place, we are working now in the orchards where we have revenues. We are working with cider. We are having new products for our customers. That will help you to have a more steady revenue uh, uh, scheme and uh, helps you to not be so dependent on just selling cider. And uh, that's extremely important. And do you have an example of these products that you are developing to support this model? Well, for example, on the Orchard side, um, what we saw is there were grants from the state to just plant trees, but there was a big problem. Uh, there were also compensations going on from the state of Luxembourg for planting Orchards like that and uh, to compensate the destruction of environment uh, somewhere else. But what we saw is that after these trees were planted, nobody to care about anymore. So at the end, there were only a few trees coming up to 20, 30 years because they, they need 35 years be before they are adult. And then they can live up to 100 years on adult side. And then a pear tree takes 70 years to get adult. And they live 300, 400 years. So the problem was that, yeah, the, uh, there were nobody takes care about the, the trees uh, in normal times. And we had to offer uh, to the communes, to the communities, to the government of taking care about these trees in a different way. And uh, yeah, so that's a product we offered to the uh, public sector. On customer side, we are for the moment developing a product which I will explain next time. <laughs> 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 okay, it, okay. Will be, it will be ready in September, October and that's funny this, uh, as you know with the crisis which is going on on COVID-19 for the moment yes. timing for us to work on this new, new development so the whole team was who has not to work on, on cider business for the moment 
they are working on this new new development of new products. So as soon as the crisis is over, we can come jump in with the new products developed and that we are ready. So that that was uh, yeah. You at a certain moment you say, okay, now we have time, let's do it, and now we are really happy doing it. Everybody is energized and say that will be something really cool when this is finished. Okay, okay. Now, um, risking that I might be ruining the surprise, <laughs> but I, I have here this in my notes because I, I read in one of, uh, in, in a recent article that because of this situation right now, uh, by the way, for the ones listening, we are recording this in the middle of the uh, coronavirus crisis, um, that you were producing hand sanitizer to help communities and different associations. Um, is, is, is that true? Yes. Uh, so um, we have a byproduct um, in, in the process of making cider. And so we are making some eau de vie, or as they say in Germany, schnapps, um, and, or, or the Brandwein. And um, uh, very small quantities are out of that. And we are putting that into whiskey barrels, bourbon barrels, tequila barrels, to have a cool product in the shop for very small batches. Uh, but it's cool to have these things. And one of the byproducts is a schnapps you cannot drink. It's very high percentage. But it's, um, yeah, it's poisoned. You cannot drink it. And uh, it's in, um, and we had some 40, 50 liters out of that. And we said, okay, let's do some sanitizer and offer that to people which are really in need of doing that. And yeah, and the word was spreading around that we have this thing. And so there was now in the news these things coming up that we are offering this. Thing. So that, that was cool. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Uh, okay, now we are not selling it. We are really offering it to the community which are in need of things like that. That's extremely important. You don't do business in, in, in time of, 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 of a crisis like that. You really help out. That's important. It would not be become if you would act differently. Absolutely. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for clarifying. Actually, in the uh, where I read the article was saying as well that uh, you were giving this away, but maybe I was not clear. So thank you for clarifying that. Um, now I I would like to take you on a journey uh, to your roots and explore a bit about your personal background. And when I was doing the research, I find out that you used to spend a lot of time in the Sour River. Um, even uh, I and I will quote you here that uh, you used to spend more time near the river than studying. <laughs> uh, how was a typical day at the river looked like for you uh, when you were growing up? Yeah, uh, as my parents have businesses to run, it was my grandmom who take care about us. I had uh, two brothers and three sisters, so big family, and uh, coming home. It was the trick to avoid grandmam and to escape from house and to run to the river and to fish at the river. That was the plan of the day. And uh, I, quite, I executed that plan quite well, I think. And um, it's uh, the contact with nature uh, in this area. It's, we have a splendid nature over here. It's called the uh, 
little Switzerland of Luxembourg. It's full of forest, uh, uh, walks, uh, a lot of wildlife all around. And um, yeah, you enjoyed that time. And um, of course, you need to study to, to, to go on, but you have this yeah, relaxed time outside, which is important too. I think that's a very big lesson to learn to, to don't don't yeah don't deconnect from nature. That that was a lesson learned. Mm, mm. Uh, actually, actually, this is the perfect bridge for my next question because uh, I mean you were born in Born. <laughs> that yeah. that that's a, a village next to this river and in the border with Germany and and. It's the same place where today uh, you're producing the Cydra and well, the company's Ram Born, so uh, kind of like uh, makes sense, you know. And I read as well in one of your interviews that when you were a kid, you used to play around these orchards and and that you used to harvest the apples and make apple juice. Uh, can you share with us how was growing up in a in a place like that? So as we are here in the, in the valley. Um, and the valley is quite steep. So, uh, so in winter time, for example, there was plenty of snow over here. And uh, so we are playing in these orchards, going uh, sliding through these orchards. That was really fun. And in autumn time, of course, the apples were there and we are harvesting these apples and making apple juice. That was, we had seven farmers in the, in the village which were producing apple juice, but also cider. And, uh, but that culture was lost uh, over the time and because the cider never came into the supermarkets, neither into the bars. So the whole tradition of uh, drinking cider in the region was nearly lost. There's only one farmer left in, in Bonn who makes some, no two, by the way, who are making small batches of cider for themselves. But uh, for the rest, it's gone all over Luxembourg. It's anymore there. The trees are still there, but the culture has gone. That was then also the possibility to revive a whole heritage in Luxembourg. Okay, I understand. So I can see that those experiences uh, really influence yourself to start this business. Yes, um, yeah, it definitely it, it, it has because uh, as I t told you, uh, I'm coming out of um, a family business and my brothers and sisters they were raised in this region too. And uh, when the cider business was launched, uh, there were no, no big discussions about if we should do that. Uh, there was an, an, yeah, as we were waste here, it was quite quickly decided it was a perfect idea to give back also a little bit. Excellent. And, and now touching, uh, you already repeat a couple of times that you're coming from a family business. How, how was to grow up uh, with, with parents who were entrepreneurs? Uh, can you recall any any specific lessons or values, education or mindset uh, that your parents try to incul inculcate in you? The first thing they said, uh, you you're not obliged to come into the company. Nobody they they were really saying you um, make your plans. Uh, everybody should do what he wants. That was the first lesson. Extremely important. And, uh, but I, I, I went straight away into the family business, but all of us also work outside the family business, other companies. And um, it's extremely important to have that lessons learned to work outside because that gives you confidence. 
Because when you start right away in a family business, uh, you are the father's son, whereas when you are working in another company, you can prove yourself. And, uh, and if you have some results and achievements in the company outside your family business, self-confidence by saying yes i have done that on my own and it's not because it's a family business so it's extremely important to have that experience then coming back it makes things also much 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 easier and other lesson mm -hmm. learned was when my brother and i came up with the idea to in the beginning of the 90s to make a wind farm which was very early in the process at that time my father said i have not a clue about wind uh, windmills if you want to do that, do it on your own. And, but don't come to me for asking for financing. You have to, to take everything on your own. So we said, no problem. And we had a business model. We went to technology affairs. We looked at all of the things. We had a perfect plan. We went to the Minister of Economy in Luxembourg, who welcomed us. And he said, if you got the permission to build them, I will grant you as much uh, money, everything was perfect. We have the whole plan in place. We have the grants, we have the permissions, we had everything in place. And then we went to the bank and the bank said, well, you need 15% at least of uh, capital. Um, and then we will finance. And, but we didn't have that. So uh, then we went to third parties to ask to finance uh, that project. At that time, you have to imagine Nobody knew about windmills. That was really new. And it was nearly impossible to convince somebody. And then at the end, we knocked at the door of our father. He agreed to finance, to help them, to give us the capital to, to do that. He looked at the business plan. He saw that would, would work out. But then I got the lesson how difficult it is to convince investors. That was, that was a very tough lesson learned. To knock at my father's door, it was the last thing we, we, we could do. But yeah, lessons learned. Absolutely. Absolutely. And um, what did you learn from, from your parents uh, about business? Uh, is there any story that you can share with us? In one sentence, my father said always, don't fear, just do it. Go, make it. That's his main lesson he learned. And when it's getting tough, start, start to work one hour earlier. And if it's going tougher, add one hour more, and you will see at the end it will work out. If you work and if you commit yourself of doing it, at the end you, you will find out your way out of the mess and you will, you will get it. Wow. Real commitment with business. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you. Now, you... You also said uh, right now that um, you started with this project with the windmills, you know, at the beginning of the 90s. Um, so I can see that you've been involved with uh, sustainability or, or a way, a responsible way of doing business since a very long time. Um, I'm curious if there is any story or anecdote that you can share with us regarding how and why you decided to take this path um, in the way to do business? I think uh, a family company has a long-term view on, on the business. 
And as you have a long-term view, you have to take, you have to work sustainable. Otherwise, it's not possible. You are not looking at next year. You are looking, if I'm doing this now, will that be fine in the years to come? And will my investment also in the years to come be good? So that's a kind of sustainable sustainability already in the way family business is done. But on environmental side, I think, which marked myself, but I think also the family is the windmill uh, project. When we went to visit this, this exposition in Husum, that was the first place where windmills were exhib uh, exhibition fair. We came over there and there were people going around which had a completely different view about um, nature, about doing business and what needs to be done, who were already very engaged in going out of fossil fuel. It was amazing to see these people in the beginning of the 90s. And of course, when you are meeting these people, you listen to them and you, yeah, you get it. And you start to read books about what they are telling you and try to, yeah, to understand what they are saying, thinking. And by doing so, of course, you start to, to look differently at the other businesses you are doing. And yeah, and then it, 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 it's natural. You start to implement the things also in your normal business. So I can see then that for you was like a very natural and obvious way to do business. Yes. And um, I mean, you, you're a bit advocate then uh, on, on doing business in a sustainable way. Was there a clear intention towards sustainability in the family business before, before you? No, we are working always together as a team. Uh, it was always is it a, a, a common journey. It's uh, it's not that somebody is um, pushing something. Of course, uh, on technical side, uh, looking at my brother, he we was looking at new technologies and he was pushing for these things. But everybody was always. Uh, on agreement of doing this thing. So it also naturally, because it gives sense. <clears throat> Excellent. Now, uh, in October of 1996, and after completing your education, having your own experience uh, in other company, you finally joined the family business. Uh, how was the process and, and which role did you take at the beginning when you joined the family business? Uh, it was like going into an, uh, near to a swimming pool and somebody just throw you in. It was really like that. At that time, we were quite active uh, building or renovating buildings in Luxembourg town. And they were at the stage where there should come tenants in or we are looking for tenants. So my father decided, okay, you take care about that side go and uh, visit the buildings with the tenants together and try to take them on board. So uh, that was my job at that time. And um, uh, it was, yeah, from the first, uh, uh, the first tenants I met was um, uh, Mittal, who, was an, uh, who today is the biggest steel company of the world. So uh, that was quite fun to, I did not have a clue who was standing in front of me. And uh, but he took the uh, he took the spaces, so that was fun too. 
Now, what, one of the businesses uh, that, that you're involved is in real estate and, and building uh, sustainable buildings. <laughs> can, can you share with us what's, what's the difference between a traditional building and a sustainable one? So, in the real estate industry, you saw at the beginning it was about building office spaces or uh, retail. And at a certain moment, because of the renewable energy business we were also in, we were investing, of course, also in the building to be as efficient as possible on the energy side. And to do so, you have to invest not only at the in develop of the building, uh, on the windows and roof and facade, but you also have to take care about the technology inside. And it was quite quickly that we get aware that you have to invest a lot in technology inside and to have control of energy. But we were, and people told us in the industry, why are you doing this investment into the technology, into building just to save a little bit of energy that will not pay out? But, oh, but, our instinct was saying us, these buildings, if we invest into them, that's important for the building. You need to control all of that. And over time, we get aware that the well-being of these buildings, as we control really well our buildings, people worked really good in those buildings. The light was perfect. The air was perfect. The temperatures were perfect. The spaces, how they were built, were perfect. So the productivity of the people working in the office buildings were really good. And uh, so our tenants tend to stay with us. I have tenants which I celebrated just now 20 years of being with us together. And it's, uh, it's amazing to see all these people really staying in the building because we are reinvesting all the time and taking care. So starting... Uh, yeah, we started with energy efficiency and we it came out well-being, very happy customers. So that's what you want. Mm, excellent. Uh, now, in, in the spring of 1997, so we're talking a bit of more than 20 years ago, uh, was the inauguration of the first wind farm. Um, what what was the motivation behind uh, going and, and building this, you know, uh, and creating this wind farm? What did what was the motivating motivation behind that? But it was my brother who came uh, with um, a law the government of Luxembourg has voted, uh, which they said, okay, let's do renewable energy in Luxembourg, and uh, that is um, uh, the law relating to that. That's the grants you can have. That's uh, how the whole process will be to put these things on. And as we were always also very technology driven, uh, it was a challenge and yeah, we jumped on that train and we did it. Yeah, that's, that's the motivation. Mm. And in, in, in the early 2000s, you started another company, but for solar energy. <laughs> uh, why, why did you decide to explore solar energy? It was the same process. There was a, a law voted that said there are the possibilities to do that. Now we looked at it, we understand how it would work, and we built a very cool project where there were 50 co-investors together with us 
building its first uh, solar farm in Luxembourg. So it's an, uh, yeah, a quite, uh, at that time already, a modern way of um, community building of, an, of a solar farm. That was, that was something really different. But it was the law who told us to do so. And, but we went that way and it was really successful. And all of the investors are still together today. The, um, after 18 or 19 years, production is the budget which were put in place. That was a business plan which really worked out perfectly well. We are absolutely in line what we projected at that time. It was amazing to see the numbers. Excellent. Now, uh, I, I will assume that producing energy uh, it's, can be a little bit technical. And in, in general, I have to be honest, I, I'm, I'm, I'm not an expert on this topic. But uh, for somebody that is not an expert and that would like to understand what are the key differences of producing wind energy and solar energy, can you can you explain us in simple terms what what's what are the differences? If you build today a wind farm, the impact on environment is extremely well checked by the law. So you need to do a lot of study studies, starting from bats over birds over noise over throwing shadow over the landscape. It's a lot to do. Uh, Year-long studies needs to be done to monitor exactly what's going on on the place you want to build a wind farm. So the impact on the environment is really well checked. On technology side, the windmills which are today on the market are really professional. It's really uh, something which uh, is extremely good, uh, very good manufactured. So technology is any more problem. It's more the environmental impact which you have to check. On solar side, it's um, technology is fine, uh, and there it's more how do you integrate solar into real estate because you do not want to build solar all over the landscape. You want to integrate that more into real estate, and that's the challenge: uh, more architecture and more practical where to put it. But there's still a lot mm. where you could put it. Excellent, excellent. Thank you. Now, in uh, you. After 25 years, you're still very active um, in, in renewable energy. Uh, what's, what's the role that innovation plays uh, in your company? Uh, a very high part of the company is driven by innovation. It's when we see that the technology um, appears to be major enough to be built into our uh, projects, we do not try a way to, to try it. Um, and it, until now, it was always very positive at the end. Uh, for example, uh, hydrogen is now a technology which I believe will be something which will show up in the future in real estate too. So we are looking at it. We are not, re not yet ready, but we are looking at it very closely. And I'm sure that in one of the future projects, hydrogen will, will play part of, of what's going on. And it's fun. It's challenging yourself of always looking at the newest technology, what's, what's out there. And if you have implemented, you, you are happy. You are really uh, satisfied of having done these things. It's rewarding. Now, for, for, for the one listening to this, and 
for, for somebody that it's a, it's a business owner, they have a business and they would like to have more innovation in their business. What, what kind of recommendation do you have for them? Yes, do the innovation in your company because uh, we did implement cloud computing in our real estate business years ago already. And today it's, it's working fine because in this uh, COVID-19 crisis, our technicians, they can do everything from their home. Uh, they don't need to go into, into the buildings. We can control all the things. It's a business response without problem. And uh, so it's rewarding at the moment where it's getting tough. And uh, that's, yeah, innovation is extremely important. Other business also that you are involved is uh, facility management. Because I understand that this business was born to manage the growing business of the sustainable buildings. Um, so this, compa this company has also a very strong commitment on managing building in a sustainable or responsible way. Um, I was reading as well uh, in the website that um, applying innovation, technology and efficiency, efficiency on energy and waste management, uh, you're able to save up to 40% in energy uh, by doing this. Um, what, what's interesting to me is that I can see in every business you're involved, uh, there is a very strong sustainability, you know, present in all these businesses. Uh, what are your recommendations to integrate sustainability in every business? Uh, it's very easy. If you are sustainable, you are more profitable. Uh, it's as it's also on, uh, it's as Peacock is saying, it's about the planet resources, it's about people, it's about the people working in these companies that they are not only doing a business, they can do innovation and that they are having a sense of what they are doing and by doing sustainability, you, uh, they, they feel rewarded too. And then at the end, it's about profit, you need to be profitable at the end and by uh, using the resources in a, in a good way, by controlling energy and waste, uh, it's very easy, and, and, and by the way, by increasing then also the well-being of your customers and the satisfaction of your customer, it's uh, very easy to, to, to say the result of that. That's at the end, you have more profit, and uh, that's fine. That's what you are mm. Mm. Actually, right now, you, you touch a very important topic, that it's uh, profit, you know. Um, the, I, I can see, you know, that there is a lot of businesses that they struggle to balance uh, the purpose, you know, the mission and be profitable at the same time, you know, um, especially because sometimes being responsible could be uh, more costly, you know. Um, what are your recommendations to, to be able to balance these both? So to be able to invest in technology, to invest in innovation and at the same time have a profitable business that can scale. I think the important is that you have to build first a very sustainable business which generates profits so that uh, that you can concentrate on also on the future. Um, you need to be profitable. Um, so you have first to work on that. Don't forget the values you have, uh, put them in place. But the first aim is to be profitable that you can pay your people and then uh, that you can uh, improve your mission day by day. That's the most important thing. And the moment you have then achieved 
that your company is profitable, then don't shy away of uh, yeah trying things out and uh, taking uh, making things which are maybe not as profitable as they should be. But uh, what's profitable? Uh, uh, is it just the finance, or it's also the planet, or it's also the people? At the end, you have to have the triple tri triple bottom line. You have to look as a whole gives this sense. And uh, it's important to look at the, the triple bottom line. The ones which do not know uh, what's triple bottom line, it's you are looking at what is the impact of the environment and is there something good coming out? The second bottom line is, is there gives this sense to the people working in the company as, or for the shareholders or for the board or, or, or the suppliers or the customers? How is it for these people? And at the end, you say the third bottom line is it also financial viable? It can happen that you have a business which maybe on financial side is not as much viable, still profitable, but not really good profitable, but it has huge impacts on resources and on people. And then the decision is quite quickly uh, taken that it's worth doing it. Mm, excellent. Now, um, you come from Luxembourg and I read in one of your interviews that, uh, and I will quote here, the advantage is that you have a great network, but the disadvantage is that you're quickly at the borders and then uh, you have to enter other markets, working together with other people from all over the world. Uh, and I close the quote. Now, for the people listening to this and for those who are thinking on expanding their business to go into other countries, other markets, uh, what can you say to them? Now you have to, at the beginning when you plan your company and when you plan your company and you say, Germany will be my market, then it will be extremely difficult for you to expand at a certain moment. If you stay at the beginning, we want to be an international business, but we start with Germany, that's a wide way to do. Because you will pay attention not to build up structures which are only valid for Germany. In Luxembourg, we are forced to do it from the, from the beginning because um, the cider market in Luxembourg would be too small to survive. So we need to export. German market is, is great. So if you are a German cider maker, you could say, okay, Germany is fine. That's enough for me. Very easy. One language um, and uh, everything on one law, uh, it's much easier. But it will, yeah, the borders are drawn at the beginning of your business plan. Mm. And uh, do you have any specific example on on, on how to integrate from the beginning uh, in the business plan, how to expand? Labeling, for example, of the bottles, we have a law in Luxembourg, there are laws in Germany, there are laws in England, there are laws in the US. When you are looking at that and you have already everything in place and your cans are printed and everything, it's much more tougher to go into other markets uh, when everything is just focused on Germany, for example. Uh, we looked at all these things at the beginning and said, okay, that's how we will do these things. How, that's how we will work with the labels when we are going outside of Luxembourg. 
um, uh, much, uh, and that will also have an impact on which uh, production line you will uh, choose to do these things. Because uh, if you are just thinking about the German markets, you have only one kind of labels, but maybe you have to put stickers on and also on. And if you have to do that manually after uh, at the end, that will be very costly. So uh, it's at the beginning where it where it starts at the design. Mm, mm. Now I can. I can see that you're very good at uh, planning, you know, on, on building a business plan or, or the business case and looking throughout all these little details that uh, I would say an average entrepreneur don't do this. Do you have any, any specific step by step or system or something that you follow? in order to be able to look all these details in a business? Hmm. Uh, it's by doing it yourself. As I said, the cider business is an extremely good example. We did that as an, as I said, as a hobby to start with, with 2000 bottles where I did the bottling myself, where I did the training myself. And it was fun doing that. But the moment you are sitting in front of a business plan and you have bottled yourself already, you have made the training about uh, what uh, the cider market looks like, that helps you extremely to think also about the details at a certain moment, because you know things. You don't need to know them at the details level, but at least you know that the things are around. We were quite well documented in the Cider Academy, so I have good places where to look up things, uh, which problems can come, and so you just need to put these things then also into your business model. And so it, it helps a lot. You will never put all of the things, but at least you are a little bit prepared of, uh, about what, what's, what's coming. Mm. Excellent. Thank you. Uh, now I, I would like to touch again uh, the innovation and sustainability because I, I think it's something that is really present in all your business and it's something that could be really valuable as well for the people listening to this. Uh, can you share with us uh, maybe one or two stories where um, where you have to make some decisions uh, towards being in to, towards making an innovation? Um. I will talk now about a company I haven't told you about, but that's most that's the, the one where innovation was extremely uh, um, fun. Uh, okay. Building my private house, and um, at a certain moment uh, there was an architect saying, "Should we build an elevator in that the moment you're getting old, and uh, that you can uh, that you can live forever, very long view." about uh, living in a house. And uh, so we were discussing this stuff. And at a certain moment, the engineer saying, you cannot build an elevator into a uh, low energy house, because that was at the beginning of, the, of 2000, 2003, around where we started these discussions. And um, uh, the engineer said, you cannot build an elevator in a house, because there is always a hole in the roof and the heat will go out and then my reaction was that cannot be possible because you don't tell me that in every house in this world where an elevator is there is a hole and the answer was yes 
And I said, and the whole heating is going out there. And the answer was, yes. And um, then I went into the office of my brother and I said, I coming out of a meeting where they told me that there is a hole in every house where there is an elevator. My brother took the law about uh, elevators and threw me on the table and said, read the law. <laughs> so I was reading the law. And in the law said that you need a hole in an envelope. So I go back into the office of my brother and I said, yes, the law says that you need that, but that gives no sense because in low energy houses, you will lose all the energy. And then we were sitting together and also with a specialist out of the elevator business. And we invented a machine which closes this, this hole. Um, and uh, yeah, and today there's a company uh, selling this, um, this machine all over, uh, all over Europe. It came out really out of a problem where somebody told me, you cannot do that. And at that moment, it gets interesting. Somebody told me, you cannot do it. Then there lies an opportunity. <laughs> wow. Wow. Such a good story. Thank you. Thank you. Such a good story. Now, um, I, I, I think right now, by the way, it, it's time to start wrapping up that, uh, some, of, uh, some of the things that we were talking about. Um, let's put ourselves, let's say, in 100 or 200 years from now. Uh, what's, what's the legacy that you would like to see in the world? Or how do you imagine uh, the future generations? Um, we have, in our family, we are working together with the next generation. So we meet ourselves at least two, three times a year where we discuss the business, we present what we have done, and, uh, and they are coming up with their ideas. So we are challenged by the new generation coming up. That's something I think it's extremely important to do um, and to involve the next generation as early as possible. They should see the business as we are doing it. But I see way of, see of doing things. They are thinking and knowledge they have where I have not a clue about it. And uh, so if you teach them what you are doing, they will do it their way, with their technology, with their know-how in another way, but I think also in a better way. So I think I see it quite positive on that way. I know that they are challenging uh, around, but well, I see it quite positive. What, what's your opinion about these next generation i can see that you are in touch you know with uh, uh let's say with the kids today that are around 20 years in average you know uh what's what's your opinion about this next generation i think uh what i have seen i have three sons which are between 20 and 25 and uh, 26 and uh yeah it it it, it will go on it's it, it's it's definitely the next generation uh they will do. They will be uh, entrepreneurs. Uh, they will be entrepreneurs in the next generation, and uh, that there will be no big change. Don't believe that the world will change with the new generation. It's a um, steady step by step where it will evolve. Uh, 
our generation needs much more be challenged by the new generation that we should do things differently. And that's, uh, I'm seeing that there are trends doing so, but um, we must be much more challenged by the new generation. That's my advice. Really challenge the, our generation. Excellent, excellent. Um, now, one of the things that I have here in my notes um, that I didn't want to interrupt you, but I definitely would like to touch here on back, uh, it's that your lessons on raising capital from investors. Uh, early on on this interview, you, you share with us uh, your experience when you were raising capital for the wind farm. Um, what was that lesson? And for somebody listening right now that would like that is in the process or would like to uh, raise money, you know, from investors. What are your recommendations? What are the lessons that you learned? At that time, uh, interest rates uh, were quite high and the people, the return they wanted to have on their capital was extremely high. Today, I would not anymore go like that to an, uh, to, to raise capital. I would go what I have learned with Corp. And I will present the triple bottom line. I will say, yes, there will be returns on financial side and there must be returns, definitely. The business model must be really working. But then you go also in the other details. You will tell them about the planet, about the resources, what, what uh, the impact you will have with your business on an environment or on social or on both. And I think you will find also the people which have capital have changed. You can, you can find people today which will listen to you and will understand that there is a triple bottom line and they are ready to maybe have not as much return on invest, but has other impacts. Definitely. It has changed tremendously. Okay, good. Thank you. Now, um, I have here some fireball questions to, to start, you know, uh, concluding this interview. Um, and the first one is, do you have any quotes um, that you think very often or that you have in, in your office or that you try to live your life by? Um, do you have any quotes that come into your mind? Yes, a quote which I have already said in the interview, which my father told me, uh, don't shy away, just do it. Um, because the moment you are in front of a problem, you have either to spend money to solve that problem, you have to invest time, you have to put resources on, and the more you wait, it does not help. Waiting does really not help. So don't shy away, just do it. Take the decision and go on. What book have you recommended or given as a gift the most? Um, it was uh, Gore, the vice president of the United States, who wrote a book about um, the unconvenient truth. And that book marked me quite a lot. And uh, I think uh, a way of how I think today is still, still marked by, by this book. Oh. Okay, I, I would include this, by the way, as well in the show notes, the link to this book. Um, if, you, if you could have one message streamed to everyone in the world, 
um, in only one sentence, what would it say? When you are looking at the business or business partner, look at the impact his business has. And then if you want to work with him together. And the impact on environment, on social and on finance. Take a broader look on your partner. And that will help you to, to, to take the right decision. Okay. Excellent. Um, and do you have, what's your message for everyone listening to this? Don't shy away, just do it. Don't shy away. <laughs> okay, so that was definitely something uh, really important in this talk. Don't shy away, just do it. Uh, so, um, and for the people who would like to connect with you, um, where can they find you? Um, they can find me. Um, you, you will. Uh, you can share my uh, my email address with them. Uh, okay, which is that's that's fine. Okay, from Wembon. Awesome, excellent, excellent. We will put that then. Uh, on the show notes as well, also with a link to the webpage of the different businesses uh, where Carlo is involved as well. Uh, so, well, Carlo, thank you very much for your time and for this amazing conversation. I really enjoy it. And I, I really hope that we can meet very soon. Yes, I hope so too. I, I hope that I can send you good news about our certification. Absolutely, I will really look forward. So for everyone listening, okay. uh, we're going to put together then uh, the show notes with the links and the references of what we talk about today. And you will be able to find all these at forchangemakers.com slash podcast. That means for the number four changemakers.com slash podcast. Until next time, thank you for listening. Hey guys, it's Zina again. I hope you enjoyed this episode and you had a lot of fun. And before you leave, I just want to give you some quick info. If you want to find the show notes of this episode, go to forchangemakers.com slash podcast and you find the show notes of this episode as well as all of the other episodes we published um, during the last month and the show notes of those episodes. And if you feel like you want to get more in touch with us, you can also sign up for our For Change Makers Friday. It's a weekly newsletter that we will send out every surprise Friday. <laughs> And we will update you with the latest things related to social entrepreneurship. Um, we will share with you other podcast episodes that we listen to, interesting articles. Sometimes we give away some templates, some tools or some just some um, inspiring things we discovered over the week so sign up for that it's always a lot of fun and if you go to our website forchangemakers.com um, you will find the knowledge center and in there are um, a lot of different resources that you can actually download for free so just check it out if you're in the process of starting a social business or you want to change um, some parts within it and you need some inspiration uh, i think for sure there's going to be some cool things in there for you so definitely check it out i wish you all an awesome weekend it's going to be um, i mean for the german people here it's going to be a long weekend so have a great time and yeah talk to you soon Thank you.